In John chapter 11, now, as we pick up, remember, Jesus uh, had been in Jerusalem uh, doing miracles, and, and uh, his, you know, his followers had continued to increase and grow, and then the opposition increased and grew as well to the point where we looked at last week, they, they had rocks, and they're about to stone him, uh, and they try to arrest him, and we don't know how, but he slipped away. And he left uh, about a day's journey away uh, to where John the Baptist had been doing ministry and baptizing people. And so Jesus has been out there and people have been coming to know him. He's been effective. And so we pick up here in John chapter 11. We'll look at verses one through six uh, first. It says this, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Okay, so Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they're, they're three adult siblings who live together in this village uh, called Bethany. It's about two miles outside uh, of Jerusalem. And we see Mary's highlighted here for actually what we're going to look at in a couple weeks where she anoints Jesus with this precious oil and wipes his feet uh, with her hair. And, and we're going to look at that. But the writer is, 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 is helping us to understand and know when he says Mary, because there's a few Marys, he's helping us to understand and know who that uh, is. But Jesus knew this family well. He was closely connected to them. He loved them deeply. And, and so it's not a surprise that the sisters send this message to Jesus where he's at, saying essentially, our brother who we know that you love is ill. Now, I don't know if you picked up on this, but Jesus's response to this message is a little puzzling. Uh, in fact, it, it just, it feels wrong. When you initially read it, uh, he gets this message, and, 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 and literally we see that, that he says, this sickness won't lead to death. But then 10 verses later, he says, Lazarus is dead. Then it talks about how much he loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And because he loved them so much, what did he do? What does it say? You can speak. It's okay. You're not. It's okay. Just speak. Just speak. If you're online, just say it. What did he do? He stayed. He stayed. Did you even see that? I mean, I want you to just imagine for a second, a family member, a close friend, someone you love reaches out to you, tells them the situation they're in, they need help, you can help them, you can actually solve their problem, and they're crying on the phone, uh, and, and, and what do you do? What would be the response or the reaction if you said, give me a couple days, let me process this. You don't do that, right? Unless it's somebody you don't really care about. You respond immediately, right? You, you go into action. Whatever you got to do, you clear your agenda so that you can help this friend, this family member who's walking through this difficult season. 
But then we see in verse four how Jesus gives us this reason for his delay. It says, this illness does not lead to death. And then he says, it is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. So just as we saw earlier in the book of John, where Jesus heals this man who's been born blind and lived his whole life in blindness, and, and, and his disciples say, Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus is like, you guys are totally missing the boat here. That's nobody sinned here. In fact, I'm going to use that blindness for my glory. And he heals that man. And we see just like that, we see now Lazarus's sickness and ultimately his death, Jesus is going to use for his greatest glory. Guys, one of the things that's so powerful here that honestly it's tough to say, it's something I think we want to avoid, is Jesus's response shows that sickness and even death may sometimes be God's will. And that's tough, right? Like it's, sometimes it's really easy to just say something, but when you like process that, it's tough. And some of you have lived in that, you've walked in that, and it's so hard to understand that. But, you know, there's an interesting uh, dialogue that happens in Exodus chapter 4, 11, where where God has essentially told Moses what you're going to do. And Moses says, listen, I've got a speech impediment here. I can't, I can't do it. I'm not your spokesman. I can't, I can't lead the nation. And so essentially he's telling God, why not? And then God says in Exodus 4.11, it says, then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And we see that and we can read that, but, but, but it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to know that, that God's will may even be in a, a sickness. It may even be in somebody passing. And that's so hard to see and understand. But what we can take from this is the reality that nothing happens by chance. Nothing happens by chance. Nothing is without purpose. There's no situation that you're going to find yourself in that God cannot be glorified in. It doesn't matter whether it's, whether it's our health. And listen, man, the last year and a half, uh, I just, and, and outside of even uh, the pandemic, I, I think of just the health situations uh, that we've had in our church and, and just uh, my, my list of people to pray for uh, and their physical ailments that they're walking through. And it's, it, I can't remember a time when it's been as long, with just people going through such struggles. So it doesn't matter whether it's our health. He can still be glorified in that. Maybe you're in a marriage and you're like, it's the worst marriage ever. Now, if they're here, don't, don't do that. But maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it's, 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 it's awful and, 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 and you're like, you don't understand. You don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand what I'm going through. Reconciliation seems impossible. And that, the reality from Scripture is even God can be glorified in that. Maybe it's family, right? There's been things said, done, just even in the last year and a half where there's family members that aren't speaking to each other. There's uh, relationships that seem to be broken beyond repair. But the reality from the, these verses is that God 
can make anything and cause anything to glorify himself. And maybe it's a job. Maybe, maybe you're like, Steve, you don't know who my boss is. They're awful. You don't know my situation. You don't know what they're asking me to do. You don't know how unfair this is. We can tell you by the authority of scripture that God can even be glorified in that. So we have to ask, if you're a Jesus follower, this is the question you have to ask. Regardless of the situation, how can I glorify God in this? How can I glorify God in this? Now, the temptation is, God, rescue me from this. Get me out of this as quickly as possible so then I can figure out how to glorify you, right? The question is not that. The question is, God, how can I right now, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the darkness, how can I glorify you right now? How can I do that, God? And, and, and then we see how... Um, how we see Jesus's words have this significant meaning where, where literally he talks about how the father is glorified through the glory of his son. Did you catch that? So as Jesus is glorified as the son of God, the father is glorified. And then we see outside of the glory of God, we see that Jesus stayed for another reason, right? He delayed his journey back for another reason. He says for or out of his love for this family. So when you think about Jesus out of his love, delaying his response, I want you to imagine how that must have felt, right? If you're Mary or Martha or someone that cares deeply about Lazarus, how, how does that feel to you, right? It feels heartless, feels like he doesn't really care, feels like everything he had said and done was kind of meaningless. I mean, we know he has the power to do it. We know that he could be here. Uh, he had healed people from a distance, all of that. Uh, so, so, so if you're hearing that, that he's delaying coming back and you see your brother sick and dying, your, your feelings are like, he doesn't love me. He doesn't love us. Guys, the danger for all of us when we go to that place with our feelings is we, we need to remember that our feelings aren't trustworthy. Your feelings aren't trustworthy. In fact, my feelings, I'll just speak for myself, they often lie to me. They lie. In fact, I've felt times where, where I felt like I'm in this place of darkness and, and my feelings are saying God doesn't care. My feelings are saying God's not gonna do anything. My feelings are saying, yep, this is finally what happens. You're finally, you're finally getting paybacks from God or, or, or he doesn't care anymore or you're too distant from him. Those are all thoughts that we wrestle with. These are feelings that are emotions uh, that we go through and you have to guard your heart because man, if you start trusting your feelings and your emotions, you're gonna miss out on truth and truth is the thing that has to shape your emotions, not your emotions shaping truth. See, the delay by God's design, it actually strengthened the sister's faith in Jesus. It, it, it made it clear that Lazarus was truly dead. And ultimately, it was God's perfect timing for him to delay. You know, I, I, what I believe happened here, and it doesn't say this, but what I believe is, is remember, Jesus is fully human, fully God here, which is just crazy. 
And, 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 and what I believe is that when Jesus got that message, because he loved this family, I believe that in his flesh, he wanted to go. In fact, I, I'll bet you in his flesh, he wanted to just snap his fingers. But, but what we actually see by, by Jesus delaying is we see his refusal to be manipulated by his emotions, by his feelings, so that ultimately he could fulfill his, pa- his father's perfect plan according to his perfect timing. Guys, God's delays are not God's denials. We need to understand that. We need to hear that this morning. And he continues on in verses seven through 16. It says, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, at the end of these two days, now now remember it, it, the messenger it probably took a day for that to arrive. And then Jesus waits two days. And then he says, okay, uh, disciples, we're going back uh, to Judea. We're going to this village, Bethany, a couple miles out of Jerusalem. And, and, and his disciples respond probably how we would respond, like, hey, Jesus, you're all-knowing, all-powerful, but just, so you, just in case you forgot, they were about to stone you last time we were there. Pretty recent. Just a reminder, Jesus. And, I, I mean, like I said, we, we would believe that. We would think that as well. And so... Jesus then responds to them by saying uh, this metaphor. And he talks about how there's 12 hours in the day, and that's how uh, Jewish people broke up their, their day was, was in this 12-hour in this period. And what that 12-hour period, the daytime, what it symbolized was the duration of Jesus's earthly ministry. And, and so he's telling them, listen, while I'm walking in the day, while I'm walking in the time allotted to me by God in his will, I am ultimately untouchable. I'm safe. I am secure. Nobody can do that. Nobody can take away from that. Nobody can increase on that. And then he speaks to uh, the nighttime, which signifies the end of his earthly ministry, which would come just at the right time which was set apart by God. And that's when he would stumble in death. But he explained to the disciples that they needed to go back because he said, Lazarus, our friend, is asleep. Now we see the the term sleep being used to describe death throughout scripture, but his disciples are taking him literally. And they say, Jesus, like, hey, if he's asleep, that means he's recovering. He's gonna be all right. So I don't think we need to go back there. 
Um, and then Jesus just plainly says, listen, he's dead. He's died. And, and as they hear this, as they respond to that, Jesus says something else that is a little puzzling. He says, I'm glad for your sake that I wasn't there so that you may believe. He says, I'm glad that for your sake, I wasn't there so that you may believe. Now, I want you to think about that. So it's better off that he wasn't there. Why? Because he's about to do something in their faith that if he was there, it wouldn't happen. Right? There's something that he wants to do, that he wants to teach them. He wants to to showcase the glory of God, the power of God in a display, in a way that if he was there and he had just healed, because if he was there, what would he have done? You're okay. He's healed. But he says, it's better for you that we're not there because what I'm about to do is going to ultimately take your faith to a level, to a degree, to a depth. It could never have gone to without this delay. And so what we see is the greatest good, the greatest love, the greatest faith is actually shaped out of a delay, right? Out of him not coming through on someone who he loves request. Now, they can see at this point, we're going to Judea. We're not changing his mind. And so Thomas then says, listen, let's go. He addresses all of them. Let's go. Let's follow him so that we may die with him. Now, what's Thomas's nickname? Yeah, I know. Doesn't that stink? Well, you think of nicknames you've had, and, and, and some of you are really glad that the nickname you had in elementary, middle school, or high school, you're thankful it stayed there. It didn't go with you. Imagine his nickname sticking, and then it's in the Bible. Like, what are you going to do? Um, you can't run from that. It's forever. And so ultimately, we'll probably be in heaven worshiping God and being like, hey, doubting Tom, you know, and every tear will be raised, so he'll think it's funny, and we'll worship out of it. But Ultimately, we see him have this nickname. And so how we read that, I want you to think about this. How you read that is out of his nickname, right? You read that and you immediately went, Doubting Thomas. There he is in scripture again, doing what he does, right? Mr. Negative. And let's just read that for a second and let's give him a shot this morning, okay? Let's give him a shot because what he says is actually pretty powerful. He says, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, what he says, remove all the doubting from your mouth and your mind. What he actually says there is is courageous. What he actually says there shows that he loves Jesus, right? We're going to go and we're going to die with him. Okay, that's what we're going to do. And that's what Thomas, doubting Thomas, literally says. And and yeah, we see the pessimism in there. We're going to die, right? We see that. But you guys, was was it illogical to think that they were going to die? I mean, last time they were there, it was almost done. And ultimately, what we know is uh, Jesus is Uh, by going back to Judea, he is going to be uh, killed there. And if they hadn't fled like wimps, they also 
probably would have been killed as well. So it's not illogical. It's, 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 it's funny. One commentator uh, wrote that his nickname is unfair and that should, it should be changed. This commentator said, we should call him Logical Thomas. And, and I was like, let's do it. The poor guy, it's ran his course. Give him a new name. And when you read it more and more, you, you go, man, he's actually responding how a logical person would respond. Right? He's responding. Now, some of you, you're right there. That's exactly how you would respond. Okay? It's not at all illogical to say what he says. The problem for us is our logic can't account for the power and the plan and the purposes of God. That's the problem with our logic. Guys, like Thomas, we're tempted to believe in only what we can figure out. And how often does our logic keep us from seeing God doing something miraculous or ultimately doing something that's going to bring him glory in a way we could have never imagined or comprehended? And so despite their doubts, they all went to Bethany with Jesus. And then we pick up in verse 17. It says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. So by the time Jesus arrives, Lazarus has been dead four days. Now, the timing of this is not by accident. See, the Jews, they had an interesting little belief uh, here. They, they, they actually believed that, that once a person died, the soul of the person would hover around the body, hoping to re-enter it for three days. But on the fourth day, the soul could pick up on the stench, the decomposing body, and at that point, it was done. It was irreversible death at that point. And so there's strategy to why Jesus is waiting. He is not giving anybody an excuse to explain away what he's about to do. So even in his delay, he's working once again. So when word reaches uh, Martha that Jesus is coming, she runs out to meet him. And ultimately, she, she grabs him and she says what you and I would have said as well. Jesus, if only you had been here. If only you had been here in time, my brother would still be alive. Man, I love that scripture puts that in there, you guys. Right? It, it, it shows you that the pain, the questioning, the struggle, the discouragement. But ultimately, even in that, you see her faith, don't you? Right? By even acknowledging if you had been here, he'd be healed. She's acknowledging that, 
You have all the power. You have all the authority. I've seen you heal. You've healed from a distance. You could have, you could have done this. Why? Right? Why? The question we've asked. The question you and I have asked when we've lost loved ones. We've asked that. Why? We know you can. We know you have power. You have authority. You could make this stop. Why? And so we go to him with that. And, and Martha goes to him with that. But even in it, she says, listen, I know that you have all authority that you have all power, that whatever you ask of God, he'll give you. And we see that she still has this great faith in Jesus. Man, she's discouraged. She's disappointed. She's grieving, but she hasn't lost her faith. Jesus responds to her by telling her, your brother's going to rise again. Now, when she hears that, she's, she's going to the place where he's already dead right? She's moved on. There's no hope in that. It's now like, yes, Jesus, I understand there's an afterlife. I understand that, yeah, at the end of time, you're going to raise him up and, and to eternal salvation. Yes, I believe that. Um, and, and, and so she acknowledges that. And then Jesus just cuts to the core with this I am statement. He says what? I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. You guys, he, he, he doesn't say, I can, I can resurrect people. He doesn't say, I can, give, I can give life. He doesn't say that. What does he say? I am the resurrection and I am the life. You guys, our hope, our trust, our faith is not placed in an event. It's in a person, Jesus. The resurrection means nothing without Jesus. And so we celebrate the victory through the resurrection, but it's about a person. It's about Jesus Christ. He says, I am the resurrection. I am life. And then Jesus' next two statements, they relate to this truth where he's essentially saying, the one who believes in me will live even if he dies physically because he will be raised on the last day. And then since everyone who lives and believes in him has eternal life, these people will never die spiritually. So there may be physical death, but they will never die spiritually. It's for eternity. And so Jesus turns to Martha and asks her, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And she responds with, you are the Christ. You're the son of God. And you're he who comes into the world. In other words, you're the deliverer sent by God. So powerful. And then he keeps going in verse 28. It says, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. 
But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So Jesus likely tells Martha, uh, you know, he hasn't announced his presence and all of that. He's keeping a low profile. He says, hey, go get your sister. Tell Tell her where I'm at. So Martha goes and gets Mary. She says, hey, Jesus is here. He's outside the village. And so Mary gets up and quickly runs to Jesus. Now there's people there that are mourning with her. Not only people that are a part of their friend group, their family, but there were also professional mourners who they would pay. In fact, regardless of your social status and your wealth, you were expected to at least have one mourner that you paid. Now, I pray to God when I die, they don't have to pay people to mourn for me. I mean, that's like, that's rough. And I've never done a funeral where I'm like, who are they? Oh, they're paid, okay? Uh, It's never happened. But that was a normal thing. And so they see Mary running. They assume she's going to the tomb. And it's literally their job (laughs) to follow her. So they go and they follow her. And all of a sudden, they're in this moment surrounded with Jesus. And then Mary says the same thing to Jesus as she runs to him and clings to him and says, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. You could have healed him. She's broken. And Jesus is observing this this situation as as they're weeping and all these other people, whether it's genuine or not, are around him crying on behalf of his close friend and observing this, it says what? That Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and was greatly troubled. Now, when you read that, uh, now this is a poor translation that, that they go with here because when we read it, we naturally think he went, oh, that's not what he did. When he sees this, when he sees uh, what's going on, when this verb is actually translated, it literally means to snort like a horse. So there was no, when Jesus sees this, like, like literally apart from uh, verse 38 that we're gonna look at in a minute, this, this, this verb, it only appears three other times in the New Testament where it's translated sternly warned or scolding. Okay, so, so it carries this connotation of anger, of, 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 of literally like outrage, And so, and it says he's greatly troubled. So it's emphasizing the intensity of his feelings, of his emotions. And it's not this, oh, it's, it's, he's upset. He is angry at what he's seeing here. Now, now our, our, our first question is why? Man, Jesus, like what, what are you upset about? Now there's a couple different thoughts. We don't ultimately know why he's so angry here. But there's a couple different opinions. One opinion uh, is that he was seeing the lack of faith in what he could do in Mary, Martha, and those that were mourning. So there's that thought, which could have been the reason. The other uh, also that, that some believe is that Jesus was in that moment face-to-face with the destruction of death, his ultimate enemy, and he was angry at seeing that, at walking through that. But regardless, he's angry at what he's seeing. And he says, where is the tomb? Take me to the tomb. And immediately after he sees the tomb, what do we see? We see the shortest verse in the entire Bible. It says what? Jesus wept. 
Jesus wept. Now, why did he weep? Why did he weep? Well, Romans 12, 15 tells us, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. So we need to do what Jesus did. We need to love others enough to enter into their suffering with them. See, what's so remarkable about this is Jesus is is literally about to take away their suffering. Isn't that so interesting? Like he's about to to heal this situation. Like he's about to remove uh, the, the suffering from this. And yet right before he fixes this problem, he joins in on their pain. Guys, we cannot be afraid to enter into another person's pain. And, and, and sometimes it's really, really tough. And, 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 and sometimes it's really uncomfortable. It can be really hard, right? It, it, it's really tough to see someone going through something. And you know what? It's really hard when somebody is going through something and your life's going really well. Isn't that tough? You don't even know what to do. You feel guilty just saying, how are you doing? But you guys, that's, your job is not to figure it out. Your job is not to medicate them. Our, 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 our job is to get into that foxhole with them. It's to hold them. It's to hug them. It's to love them. It's not to avoid uh, the uncomfortable nature of the conversation. You've got to like push that aside because the enemy actually wants to use something, make it uncomfortable so that that person doesn't receive the love of God through you. And so you got to push back on that. The other temptation when someone's in pain is this. What do we do? And we don't, we don't want to do this, but this happens. We belittle the pain, right? It's just more comfortable to just be like, oh, that's, that's okay. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. You're gonna be good. It's okay. God's got a plan. Here's a verse. And we honestly belittle the pain. He's not calling you to that. He's calling you to get into the pain. <laughs> He's... He's calling us to sit with those people, to weep with those people. Even if you don't understand it, even if you can't comprehend it, even if you can't make sense of it, Jesus is on the verge of possibly his greatest miracle, but he entered into the feelings of grief and loss with those he loved. And you know what he's showing here too? Man, he's showing his humanity. Fully man, fully God. And he's feeling that. That's his buddy in there who's died. So he's mourning over him. And, and even as the onlookers are watching Jesus and his response, and, and, and as he's weeping, uh, they're watching and they go, man, he really loved Lazarus. But it also brings those people that are watching, it brings them to this point of confliction. Because why? They start asking, wait a second, we've seen what he can do. We've seen what he can do. Why, why could he do all those things and yet he couldn't heal him? He couldn't make this right. So even in this, people are going, man, this, this is backwards. This doesn't make sense. If he truly loved Lazarus as much as, he, as, as it appeared, why did he delay? Why did he delay? Why did he let this happen? If he knew, if he even knew he was going to raise him up from the dead, why did he allow it to happen in the first place? Why did he allow those he loved so deeply to experience Four days of incredible grief. Why? 
You guys, Jesus, whether you want to admit it this morning or not, is doing things beyond what you and I can grasp or comprehend. You know why? He's God. I knew you were expecting something way more powerful. (laughs) That's it, though. Like, that's it. He's operating at a whole nother level that you and I can't comprehend to where literally a delay is gonna bring about his utmost good where we're gonna view that delay as you don't love me. You could have done this and you didn't. And, and, and so ultimately he's operating uh, way beyond what we can imagine. His purposes are beyond what we could ever imagine. And, and so we don't know all that Jesus is doing, but what this tells us is we should never doubt his love for us. And we should never doubt his desire for us to experience his glory. You guys, God's love is not a pampering love. It's a perfecting love. Okay, I, I, I think we think, man, I'm gonna give my life to Jesus and he's just gonna bubble wrap me for life. He's gonna protect me. I can walk through all these things and I'm not gonna be let down and I'm, I'm not gonna have any physical issues. I'm not gonna experience this opposition. Or, and, and maybe we don't say that, but, but we think that. And we complain to God like that's true. And, and, and ultimately, that's not at all what he promises us. He does not promise to shelter us from all the problems. In fact, look what he allowed his one and only son to go through. Look at what Jesus went through. For you and for me, God allowed that. You want to talk about a delay? Is Jesus getting beaten? whipped, spit upon, and God could snap his fingers and end it. And here I am in my condition, in my illness, in my struggle. Where are you, God? Why are you making me go through this? Guys, you got to go back to the cross and you got to remember what Jesus, the savior of the world, what he went through and ultimately what did him going through? What did that communicate? And what did God allowing that to happen communicate? Ultimately, it was the greatest display of his love for you and for me, and it saved us. I mean, Isaiah 53, 3 tells us how he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid, hide their faces, he was despised and, he was, and they esteemed him not. Jesus went through it. You guys, the miracle was about something bigger than removing their grief. It was about the power of Jesus over death. Jesus delayed because his purpose was not to heal Lazarus, but to raise him from the dead and bring glory to himself and to the Father. You guys, we have to trust him. We have to trust him. And like I said, that's another easy one to to preach, to say, to tell to your kids, to tell to your friends, but it's really hard to live it sometimes, amen? It's tough. And I love how Deuteronomy 29, 29 puts it. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all that the words of this law. The secret things 
belong to the Lord our God. In other words, the things you don't understand, things you can't see, the things that, uh, that, that ultimately you have no answer to, you need to allow God to be God over that. You need to give him that. Those are his things. What you need to deal with is what he's shown you, what he's revealed you, what he's called you to, and you be obedient in that. Okay, scripture's very clear. His ways are beyond our ways and he's gonna work things out as Ephesians 1.11 says, according to the purposes of his will. That's a good thing. That is not a bad thing. As we finish in verses 38 through 44, I know some of you doubted me. I doubted myself this morning. <laughs> then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So this tomb was a cave. It, it was sealed off by a large stone and, and Jesus tells them to remove it. And Martha says, probably not a good idea, Jesus. It's been four days. He's gonna stink. And Jesus challenges her with what? He says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they remove the stone. And Jesus says this prayer. This prayer isn't for his benefit. This prayer is actually for the benefit of those around him so they can hear because God has already answered Jesus's request. And what he's doing is showing them the alignment that he has with his father. He's showing them that this is in his father's will. This is done through the power of the father. This was public affirmation of his mission, of his ministry, of the unity that he had with the Father. And then he cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I love how the Greek text literally reads, Lazarus, here, outside. <laughs> Man, that's like, and forget the translations. <laughs> that's like, that's legit. And many people joke how if he hadn't said Lazarus's name, every tomb would have just opened with people because of his power. And that would have been crazy. But he spoke with that authority and immediately, I don't know what it looked like. I mean, he's wrapped, so I don't know how he came out, but he's out. He's out. Death didn't get the last word. The sickness didn't end in death, but in resurrection. You guys, few passages are we ever gonna find that have hope delivered like these verses. Why? Because is there any other situation that feels more hopeless than death? Right? When you attend a funeral, when you, when you attend a celebration of life, right? We're, we're mourning, it, 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 but what are, we, what are we feeling? We're feeling it's all over, right? Our time with him, it's over. There's no more chances. There's no more hope. Death has spoken. It's final. We're acknowledging that. But you guys, Jesus has the final word. He always says the final word, okay? He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life, okay? The gates of hell will not prevail. 
I am the resurrection. I am the life. God's delays are not denials. Can we stop treating them like that? And his decision to delay didn't show a lack of love. It actually showed incredible strength to be able to refuse his emotions and his feelings that were being manipulated. And he was able to refuse that out of strength because he was committed to the Father's plan. And so ultimately, God's greatest good came from something that we would accuse someone else of, of being heartless. We would literally say, you don't care. What you said is not true. And yet the very thing that we would have criticized him for, some of us have criticized him for things like that. He says, I'm actually doing this for the greatest good to display the father's perfect timing, to display to you what the resurrection is. Lazarus didn't need to be healed. He needed to be resurrected. Guys, some of you this morning that are here, you are wounded, you are hurt, you are discouraged, and you came here looking for hope. God's purpose for you is not to heal you. His purpose is to resurrect your spirit and your soul. You need to be resurrected to a new life with Jesus. Guys, this brought about the greatest good. His delay was because of his love. So what in my life do I need to trust God with today? What do I need to trust God with today? How can I glorify God in the struggles I'm facing right now? How? Not by its removal, but right now. Right now. And lastly, some of us today, you don't need a healing, you need resurrection. And God is maybe reaching out to you right now. He's calling you just as the good shepherd. He's saying, come on. I offer salvation, a new life. He sent my one and only son, Jesus, to come and to die for you. To resurrect, to demonstrate power over sin and death, and to give you hope and a purpose for a new life if you will receive him and trust him as your Lord and Savior. And so maybe he's inviting you to that. Guys, whatever he's calling us to this morning, and I know it could be really difficult for some of you. It could be really hard. Trust is never easy, but he's so faithful. And in spite of what your emotions and feelings may be saying, cling to truth this morning. Cling to truth, amen? Let's pray.